1: This is the Red Box Podcast. I'm Matt Chorley and I'm very hot. Coming up today, Citizens Advice. How are you coping with the cost of living crisis? What's it like on the front line of people who just don't know where to turn? Uh, we've been speaking to Citizens Advice advisors from right across the country, sharing some pretty empowering stories, I have to say, of... Uh, People struggling to make ends meet but also offering some practical tips that uh, maybe everyone could use. Uh, So that's coming up as our big thing on the podcast in just a moment. Before that though, as ever it's The Columnists. The Columnists on Times Radio. Yes, it's that time of the morning. We always pick over the news. Normally with uh, Night at the Marriott, but no James Marriott today. We have got India Night. Hello India. Good morning. And for the new states we've got Rachel Cunliffe. Hello Rachel. How are you? I hope you're doing all right. I hope you're doing all right. Uh, Isn't it hot? (laughs) So there's been a discussion. Stig Abel from Times Radio Breakfast was wearing shorts and flip-flops in the office, or sliders, as they're now apparently called. Is that acceptable behaviour, India?
3: I'm not sure about in the office. I mean, if he can tunnel into the studio and tunnel out again without being seen, then yes. (laughs) But also, presumably, there's air conditioning in the office, isn't there? Yeah, there is. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, no, I think that's a bit unnecessary. <laughs> it's feet. My issue is mostly feet. Yes,
1: no, my I agree. I, that's why I... Because I was thinking, because it's going to be so hot tomorrow, I might, I might wear shorts tomorrow, but I'll wear trainers. I'm not coming in with my toes out.
3: Nobody wants or that. Or have a pedicure. I think men are far too shy about having pedicures, and I kind of think in this weather they ought to be compulsory, because men think of their feet as sort of paws... <laughs> you know, They look like paws, and they never do. They never kind of look after them. Women make an effort with their feet, and most women have nice feet, or even if they don't have nice feet, they're able to make them look nice. But men just don't care. And men's feet. I've
1: never had a pedicure. Maybe, oh,
3: you should Maybe have all it should really be your nice. heatweight treat.
1: I don't really like people touching my toes or feet generally. It's like it's yeah, really it's very ticklish. Relaxing. I find it quite stressful. I mean, even, so even can... on cages when I've had a massage, I get the giggles. <laughs> Rachel, where do you stand or how do you dress for a heatwave?
0: Uh, so uh, I'm, I'm with India. I think men in shorts is completely fine for the office as long as they're, you know, smart work shorts. My, my husband who uh, has uh, 17 pairs of red trousers also has four different <laughs> pairs of, of shorts in various shades of red, pink, purple, raspberry. Um, so I think the shorts aspect is, is fine, but I'm, I'm definitely with, with India on, on feet and with flip-flops. I will wear open-toed sandals in the office. If I've had a pedicure at the very least painted my toenails and it's a bit, it's a bit fun and it's a bit nice flip flops, I just don't think are acceptable. Well, I don't think they're acceptable anywhere, certainly not in the office. But I do also think that a certain amount of flexibility when it comes to going out in temperatures that are hotter than parts of Africa at the moment, you kind of have to just let people do whatever it is that they need to to not kind of physically boil over and faint mm. from, from heat stroke. But if the, if the office is air conditioned, there is no excuse.
1: Although you haven't, I think the pandemic has helped with this, particularly men not having to wear a suit and a tie all the time uh, in a work setting and being slightly more flexible. I think, the, I think maybe the pandemic has, has slightly helped with that. And it's all for the better. Although I did buy myself a new linen suit this week, so I'm, I'm, I'm literally contradicting myself.
3: I think man-made fabrics, linen is very good. You see, man-made fabrics make people sweat. Yeah. And that's not good. I mean, you, you know, you're sweating enough anyway. You don't want a kind of extra layer of plasticky sweat. <laughs>
1: Knows. I never quite know where these conversations are going to go. Let's talk about um, people. Who, well, Westminster's like the last place where every, literally everyone still wears a suit and a tie all the time. We won't talk about Keir Starwood's Star Wars because they're children's films and we don't get to talk about them. But he did focus on the economy yesterday. To some extent, Rachel, um, when we were doing on PMQ's uh, Unpack yesterday, he was like, he well, can't really talk about the Northern Ireland Protocol because Labour don't really like talking about Brexit. They don't really want to get embroiled in in the Rwanda issue either. But the New Statesman this week has sort of an in depth look at the state of the economy.
0: Yeah, it's our it's our cover story the the sick man of Europe uh, again. And I'm going to do something quite rare for me. I'm going to defend Keir Starmer's PMQs performance because I think that was actually quite a smart call. As as you say, Brexit is a bit of a thorny issue for them. They really didn't want to step into the, the trap that the government set on on Rwanda and, and saying, yes, it's, it's absolutely fine that European judges stopped British elected politicians from doing what they tended to. And, and we can talk about the validity of that argument later or just ignore it completely. Um, <laughs> but... The next election is not going to be fought on eight people on a flight to Rwanda. It's going to be fought on the the cost of living crisis. Uh, And our cover story this week uh, that's out today points out that uh, the OECD expects Britain's economy to perform worse than any other developed country except for Russia, which obviously is, is hit by sanctions at the moment. And that productivity growth over the last two decades has been so slow that wages are about... The same, uh, expected to be about the same in 2025 as they were in 2008. So two lost decades of growth, and if we're not careful, we are on the road to basically becoming Italy, but without the nice weather. Although, as you've said, yeah. we, we do have the nice weather today. So for about three days a year, we're Italy, uh, and the rest we're, we're Italy without the nice weather. And that is the kind of thing that people are going to notice when they come to to vote. Like, why why is it that my costs are so high? Why is it that my energy bills have shot up, and my Food bills have shot up, uh, and yet my job isn't paying me anymore. If I've even got a job, like these are the things that people care about, rather than how many people we're deporting to where.
4: Do
1: you think? I think. I think it's your your point about how this is the stuff that people actually care about. We're going to talk about that in a bit when we speak to Citizens Advice as well. But um, there is a question because when we were we were talking about Keir Starmer earlier this week and speaking to members of the Shadow Cabinet, and they don't know. I just don't know how you sum up what his big idea is. One of the things that kept coming up is that everyone in currently the top of the Labour Party is talking about the word growth. Growth should be the word. My my slight criticism of that is I'm not sure normal people know what that means. But uh, I suppose there's one thing for Keir Starmer to diagnose the problems, but they also need to come up with some eye-catching plausible solutions, don't they? Otherwise they end up in this sort of Ed Miliband territory of just like tutting and saying, we've seen how much that is.
0: Yeah, and I think that is a a, a real problem for Labour. Uh, One of the things that they've talked about is the windfall tax on energy companies, which is a relatively small amount of money, but is a Labour policy that the, the Tories resisted and resisted and resisted, and then adopted under a different name. I think the refusal from the the treasury and the, the chancellor to borrow money uh, even even when interest rates are very low and to invest in in infrastructure uh, and just invest in in getting some of our public services working again that i think is the ideological a point, and the the, the gamble for Labour is that people have got sick of talking about we need to balance the books and be responsible, uh, which is obviously the the Cameron and Osborne line yeah. that we've had for the last decade. We we, we, we need to spend within our means and, and, and all that. And actually, people are like, no, we need a country that, that functions. Let's borrow some more money and work it out afterwards. And I, I guess the gamble is, are, are they right that people don't care about financial st- uh, sort of stability and responsibility quite as much as they did because they can see that everything is crumbling?
1: But also, um, India, it's a slightly trickier. Now the Tories have found the, the the magic money tree. Rishi Sunak's popularity is based entirely on finding money uh, endlessly them attacking Labour for doing the same thing is going to be much harder, isn't it? You know, the, 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 the economic difference between the toys and Labour is pretty slim, really, at the moment. Yeah,
3: absolutely. And I think <clears throat> the difficulty is that I agree, actually, that it was right for um, Keir Starmer to go on the uh, economy yesterday at PMQs. The problem is he's saying stuff that everybody knows, everybody is aware of the fact that we are, you know, the, the whole country feels broken. It feels like we're we're, we're we're in a pond with a rapidly deflating life jacket and kind of no means of getting to shore from any side. Um, so until he starts offering, until Labour starts offering really concrete solutions and a kind of a, an easily digestible and comprehensible plan, they both seem as bad as each other. I mean, of course they aren't, but the, the, the impression I think that the public get is that everybody's slandering? Nobody's got a clue. Um, Boris Johnson is, you know, inexplicable remains inexplic- inexplicably upbeat and cheerful. Keir Starmer kind of goes on and on in his earnest, well-meaning way, but nothing substantial, nothing material, is actually being offered.
1: What a cheery, cheery yeah. summation of where <laughs> we are in. That's lovely. Well, well, the one thing that we can all look forward to is uh, Prince William turning forty. He turns 40 next week. I turn 40 in September and have written about... I love your
3: piece. I f- love your piece about turning 40.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, God, I did it. too. I'm still, in my, still very firmly in my 30s, actually, uh, until September. <laughs> um, yeah, so basically they asked me to write a piece about comparing our lives. And it turns out it was probably more similar than I was expecting, obviously without the palaces in my in, in my case. Go on, Rachel.
0: I was just going to say that the main takeaway I got from, from reading your piece and the comparisons is that your life sounds so much more fun so much yes, nice.
1: and I, I, that is basically the sort of the, the thread that runs through it. And although um, I'm not sure, I've sort of hammered the point home because I'm not to be too, you know. But yeah, it's clearly, clearly being being the heir to the throne is a miserable old. I mean, you know, it's very comfortable, and lots of other people have, you know. I know, I know, lots of other people having a tough time. And all that. But it's not a lot of fun, is it? it basically, not be able to say what you think uh, about anything, go where you want. He was even stopped going. But once I started digging into, he was even stopped like having a gap year. You uh, couldn't do loads of things you wanted, so yeah, I agree. I am better than Prince William. I think that's what we've, is that what we've agreed.
3: Do you do you feel do you feel that turning forty represents turning a corner? Do you feel do you have a sense of oldness? Because when I turned forty a very long time ago, my ex husband and I had a party, hired a nightclub, and had a party and sent out. Invitations calling the party the last disco because we thought it we was so old. he'd <laughs> never ever danced. I mean, it's insane. But uh, we genuinely believed in the moment that we were becoming was it. It, yeah, it was yeah, yeah. so prepet and ancient that that was, you know, the last hurrah. And obviously, that was mad. But we felt it at the time. Do you feel like that, or do no? You not really. You I part,
1: partly. Well, I am. Ha- I am having a party, but it's in a sort of a hotel. Function room rather than a nightclub.
0: Are we invited?
1: Uh, I need. To th- <laughs> I'll be honest. The numbers already got a bit out of hand. <laughs> um, uh, but actually, without but, but my wife is a bit older, a bit older than me. So her reaching other landmarks before me means that it, you know it, it feels less dramatic. Maybe mm. I think that probably makes yeah. a difference. So well, you know, the world hasn't stopped turning. Should we, we still, you know, go out, have parties, and all that? But <laughs> unlike. Unlike kind. Prince William, I'm not going to get a five pound coin with my face on, um, <laughs> which I think is very unfair. It's very unfair. I'm
0: I'm sure there were I'm sure there were sites that will design one for you. <laughs> uh, I'm sure if you throw <laughs> that open to Twitter and say, "Where can I have uh, a, a five pound coin with my face on it?" You're going to get a flood of a flood of <laughs> suggestions.
1: Or or if, or if a this, stamp. Is, if this just want to send me a five pound coin, that is also fine. Five pound <laughs> note, stick that in an envelope like your nan. Uh, that'd be lovely. Uh, good, well, that's probably not enough to- Enough of talking about me. I ne- I said never. Uh, lovely to speak <laughs> to you both. Uh, Rachel Cunliffe in India Night. Uh, thanks for that. As uh, Rachel Cunliffe for The New Statesman. And uh, India Night, of course, on the Sunday Times. That was The columnist. Don't forget, you can get a subscription to The Times and the Sunday Times. Go online to thetimes.co.uk forward slash times box Up next, it's Citizens Advice. The big thing on Times Radio. I mean, the cost of living crisis is something we've talked an awful lot about. Energy bills rising, price inflation racing ahead of wage growth, interest rates likely to go up again uh, later on today. But away from all those big numbers, what's actually happening to households across the country? Today, we're going to head to the front line of the cost of living crisis. By speaking to our friends at Citizens Advice, the charity helping people with their financial problems, both over the phone, online, and in person. So, sort of, it's almost Eurovision style, this. We're going we're to uh, link up uh, Citizens Advice advisors from across the country. Uh, we can go live to Wales. We can speak to Julianne Risborough, who's an advisor at Citizens Advice in the Rhondda. Hi, Julianne.
2: Hi, Matt.
1: How are you doing? I'm very good. I'm very good. And we can speak to Kayleigh Hignall, uh, who's the head of policy at National uh, Citizens Advice. And we got up with Kayleigh when we were in Leeds a few weeks ago. Hi, Kayleigh. Morning. Uh, Good to have you with us. Let's start with you first of all, Kayleigh. Explain for people if they don't know what Citizens Advice is and does.
5: Yeah, so uh, we've been here for quite a long time uh, delivering advice to people, Uh, it doesn't matter who you are, it doesn't matter what type of problem you've got uh, but we're usually a first port of call so we help a lot of people with benefits, we help a lot of people with debt or housing issues, whether that is a long-term issue or a one-off or a crisis issue that somebody is facing and as you say we help people in person, we help them over the phone um, and online and have lots and lots of helpful advice on our website if, if you are struggling
1: how was it talk about the, the origins of it how did it come about i mean lots of people would have probably originally known it as being the citizens advice bureau which i know you've 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 dropped the b but how did it sort of come about and how how are you funded um uh how do you how do you exist
5: yeah, these names change and evolve over time and uh, people don't, you know, the word Bureau is, is a different word now than, than it used to be. But we, we actually evolved. We came out of necessity uh, following and during the Second World War. People needed a lot of help to adapt to things uh, and challenges very, very quickly at the time. So uh, we we were born out of that. We operated from things like horse boxes going around to different areas that had had uh, bombings overnight and the like. And, and frankly, over the, the last... Uh, decades we've continued to do that so whether it is challenges uh, like we've faced more recently like the pandemic whether it is wars and and the like we adapt our services to to make sure we're we're serving the people we that that need help. We are a charity uh, so we exist on um, donations and funding we receive government support to provide some services as well Um, so we do our best Uh, we are 70% volunteer led uh, so we've got people across the country working flat out at the moment, as you can imagine, to deal with incredibly high demand, given the cost of living challenge uh, and an incredibly severe demand, I would say, as well. So uh, lots of people coming to us uh, needing things like food banks, needing things like fuel vouchers uh, just to keep the lights on and, and food on the table.
1: Okay, well, let's get a picture of, um, some, of some of exactly those uh, stories. Julianne in uh, the Rhonda, what are, what are some of the issues that you're seeing Right now, the sort of people who are coming through the door turning to citizens' advice for help?
2: Matt, we're seeing a lot more people in crisis. And by crisis, I mean not having enough money to buy food or to uh, pay for fuel costs. Uh, we've seen, as I say, an increase in that. Uh, and we've also seen an increase in... Um, families coming to see us, a lot more families with children. For example, a client yesterday, family, mum was working part time, two children, and she contacted us because it was three days before payday and she literally had no money to pay for food for her and her um and her children uh, she she paid all her outgoings you know and we all know the fuel costs have gone up along with the costs of food as well but she needed to bridge that gap between now and payday, and we're seeing a lot more people in those types of situations, and a lot more families with children coming to us, which is really something new for us in Barbican and And
1: is that is that because in the past, the uh, people, uh, the sort of people who got into those sort of as you, the word used was the sort of financial crisis, tended to be single people, younger people, people with uh, other other problems, and actually families who the sort of people coming to you of families who who maybe a year or so ago maybe would never have thought that, that that's the sort of situation they'd end up in.
2: I mean, yes, Matt, we do have, um, uh, previously we did have a lot more single people coming to us who, who may be in a different type of crisis, for example, in debt. But we are getting a huge shift because uh, the bottom line is people can't uh, make their budget stretch. And we have, excellent, well-trained advisors in the Citizens Advice who sit with people and work out their budgets with them. And we look at budgeting tools. Can we make savings? Can we increase your income? Can we do anything to make that budget stretch? And unfortunately, what we're seeing a lot more of is that we just can't make that budget stretch because everything has gone up so much in terms of the cost of petrol, the cost of food, the cost of energy prices. So we're looking to other sources of help, for example, charities, we're looking to charitable organisations for grants, Uh, we're looking to councils for help. So we're using as much as we possibly can to try to support people uh, that are struggling at this time. But as I say, if your budget can't stretch and won't stretch, then there's a limit to what we can do, but we're trying our best.
1: Uh, well, that's the picture in the What about in Blackpool, Tracy? Are you seeing a, a sort of shift in the demographic of the people who are coming to you for help?
6: Hi, oh, Matt. Yeah, we, we definitely are seeing that. Um, one of the things that's really struck me recently is there's been a real change in the the type of people who are accessing our service. In Blackpool, we've always had a number of people who've come to us because they're struggling financially. I think it's you know, it's it's part of being a coastal town and, and, and having high levels of deprivation. But something that's really struck me recently is we, um, towards the end of May, we had an email from a nurse who couldn't afford to fill up her car with fuel to actually get to work. And I think that gives a little bit of an idea of of just the kind of things that people are facing at the moment in the way that Julianne is seeing in in the Rhonda. You know, we, we, we have seen a real change in people coming to us, people who are in work, who are struggling because... I think that it's almost been like the perfect storm for some people who have worked throughout the pandemic, so they've maybe not had the opportunities like other people to to work from home and maybe make some cost savings. And now they're in a position where we've got the cost of living crisis, where they're seeing the the increases that Julianne has, has just talked about. And they've got no financial resilience. So actually where they've maybe, you know, Got a, a bill that's that's um, you know higher than it's been before, or they they've you know maybe had to get a boiler fixed or something like that. They just haven't got the ability there with within their income to to be able to afford things day to day, and I think that is something that is a real difference for a lot of the people who are, who are coming to our service at the moment.
1: Uh, that's a picture in Blackpool, uh, Tom in Exeter. Uh, what are you what are you seeing there? And we we uh, what well, I don't want to. Um... Make a sweeping generalization about the, uh, the rural Southwest, which is where I'm from. But I mean, rural areas are a particular issue with things like, you know, if you need to get to work in order to earn money and you can't afford to put petrol in your car and that there's no public transport, that's a massive problem, isn't it?
4: Absolutely. And I think the, the rural Southwest is a really interesting kind of example, picking up from Blackpool as well, that we're well aware of some of the sort of holiday hot spots in Cornwall historically and some of the issues around. Many people who didn't live there um, and worked there would come in, you know, to do holiday nets and changeovers. Obviously, the pandemic so it changed the rural southwest in many ways. And a lot of properties were lost, And there's a lot of people who now will commute 30, 40 miles potentially for a job. And as you say, uh, it's not never been a cheap um, or easy option, accessibility. There are some buses in our area that leave on certain days but don't come back on the same day. And That's compounded by all the other issues we've seen around, you know, the kind of access to the new bizarre uh, for jobs. So there's sort of a lot of vacancies still, but not necessarily people able to take them. Um, and the fact that we don't have that kind of resilience in the job market um, for people to kind of you know, bounce back into. And I think what we're seeing is a really interesting kind of mix of kind of lots of people who don't live in places but will come into them to work across the Southwest, and what does that look like long-term for people? We've always had about 28 to 29% of people in work on universal credit. So here, because your know, wages don't necessarily keep up with the kind of where people should be at. Um, and so we've got a lot of people, kind of nurses here you know, going to food banks, reliant on it um, and down here, and it's become you know, almost a sort of way of life at the moment while people try and work out what, how they can make the best move forward.
1: Um, and the, uh, what is are you seeing any change in the sort of demographic of the people that you're getting or the sort of issues, uh, that, or is it essentially food bills, energy bills, petrol bills? Is that, is that what's having an impact or are you seeing a shift in the type of people who walk through the door?
4: We've seen a shift in people from youngsters to elderly people. I think we've never seen so many people over the age of 50. Coming to us about being evicted. So, I think the Section 21 kind of housing mechanism allowed people who thought, I've been renting this property maybe for a number of years to somebody who lives locally, I could perhaps renovate this and put it on either Airbnb or perhaps do some more short term lets or perhaps just bump the price up. Um, has meant that we've seen some harrowing stories of people who've lived somewhere 20, 30 years, often with pets, for example, in the rural areas, who then are left out trying to find somewhere we'll have to move to a whole new town 30, 40 miles away and start again. Um, and actually, it's a real concern. Um, well Our kind of housing private rental market has never been a particularly strong uh, uh, sector to help locals. And obviously, through the D- Detection 21 process, a lot of people took advantage, perhaps, of the market forces to cash in and has left people, local people really high and dry.
1: That's a really interesting, and it's probably uh, one of those topics that we don't uh, talk about uh, enough. Um, somebody's just texted in, and you know, it's always good that people are engaged in what we're talking about. Somebody's texted, no name on it. I wonder if some, not all, of those financially struggling are victims of the must-have-now climate we have been through, and not saved anything for bad times. Is there is there a, a cultural problem that we we don't have a have a, a tradition maybe of putting a bit aside each month? You know, the rainy day, the hole in the roof, the boiler that breaks, or are the people who are coming in? they've done that but they've, they've they've had all their rainy days they've burnt through those savings and that's why they're now in those um issues uh, julianne first of all in wonder.
2: yeah matt i would agree with that is as you've just said it's very difficult to save if you're on a limited budget to start with but if you do have any savings and for example it only takes one thing to go wrong your washing machine breaks and to try to get that replaced or repaired could could and does take your savings. You know, for example, also if you've got a car and the car breaks down and you need the car for work. So it's not necessarily always a culture of you haven't saved any money it's your fault those those people that are coming to us in in lots of circumstances have had savings and, uh, and had to sit and have had rainy days and use those savings and that's why they're coming to us now to look for the support um for their daily living costs
1: uh, and what about uh, you tracy is that is that the sort of thing that you're finding that actually maybe you know people have been quite comfortable at one point and maybe it's a change in their jobs or or uh you know income or uh, just the fact that suddenly the price of everything going up just means that they used to have a nice buffer each month and now that's disappeared
6: i think that's unlikely for our client, our uh, people in blackpool to be honest with you it is much more around people who really can't afford things so you know we have a lot of people who can't afford to to own a car um in the area that we work and and you know a lot more people who are not really um living kind of a, a luxury life at all um really struggling and have been struggling for quite a long time to to make ends meet um i think also we like i said before we have seen a real shift in in the demographic so we've seen a lot more people who are in work who are struggling and i think it's very difficult for for people to save and to have a, a, a any kind of buffer i think sometimes you know, when we look at it through maybe our own eyes, we can't, can't always understand how that isn't possible for people. But when you're living kind of week to week or, or you know, month to month with, with your income and often going into overdraft just to pay mm. basic bills um, like council tax or your energy bills, really difficult to have be in any, any kind of position. And also, I think one of the things that we're really conscious of is the effect this has on people's mental health as well. Because, again, you know, like Juliana's detailed, we we see families who uh, can't afford to put food on the table. In fact, we had um, one um, person who came to us who had two children, 12 and 8. And actually, her children were voting every evening whether they had a meal or they put the heating on. And this was back in February. And that was, you know, something that it's so alien, I think, for so many people to really understand The impact that that has on that parent, on those children, on that family as a whole, and those those are the kind of circumstances that we're seeing, and it isn't unusual for people to be living in that way um, in Blackpool at the moment.
1: That's that's extraordinary that sort of story. I I suppose what's so important about um, having you to tell that story, Tracy, is that sometimes things like choosing between heating and eating is just a sort of is it's it's overused as a sort of cliche. Do you forget what that really means in in practice? Um, Kaylee, uh, bring you together. Um, let's join some of the dots on this a little bit in terms of the these these individual stories, are obviously being re- replicated right across the country. Do you have a sense of how many more people are coming to Citizens Advice? Uh, how how many more of these cases um you'll see? That yeah, nationally.
5: Yeah, across across the country, we're we're breaking on welcome records in relation to the numbers of people who need our help. And I, I think what's interesting as well is it, it's not just the numbers, it's the type of help, as we, we've talked about today. The, the issues that people need um, help with are more complex, they're more acute and more urgent. Uh, so not only are you dealing with um, a creditor, for example, and how you get to a good payment plan, you're at the same time also having to think about that food bank referral for it at least to at least stave off the problem of, of not having food in in the cupboards, what we 're also seeing you know we 've just talked about like the level of income that people have back in 2019 when we were looking at our data we could see just around a third of people who we helped with debt didn't have sufficient income to how uh, to cover their basic costs uh, you know these are costs that are, are minimal costs not extravagant in any way food um, heating electricity all of those kind of things what we can see now when we look at it is that is near nearer to half of the people that we help uh, who are already in debt uh, and for some groups as well so those who are self employed, it's worse again. Um, and shockingly, when we look at uh, how many people were helping with things like food banks, you know, we're helping 700 people a day at the moment to access food banks, that's a 300 people per day increase on the same time last year. So there's huge scale and breadth um, of the issues that, that people are, are facing um, at the moment right across the, the nation.
1: Wow. I mean, that's huge. That is, is massive. and the, the, numbers, the numbers are mind-boggling. And then when you think, well, each one of those stories is, is like the ones that Tom and Julianne and Tracy have just been talking about. Um, what I want to do is, in just a moment, I want to ask you for some of the practical things that maybe people can be doing or places they can go and find help, you know, some advice and tips and that sort of stuff. We'll do some of that in a moment. We'll continue our conversation with Citizens Advice next here on Times Radio. Uh, morning. Nice to have you with us. We are speaking to our friends at Citizens Advice to try and get a picture of the impact of the cost of living crisis on families right across the country. Um, what I thought uh, it would be quite good to do is just um, some, some advice. Sometimes, I imagine sometimes people come in and you, you because you're the experts in these things, you might know some uh, either places to go for help or tricks or ways around uh, trying to trying not to to get into a sort of spiral of financial problems. So let me just come around each of you and just Get your advice, the, the sorts of things that you're regularly telling people uh, that might be able to help some uh, listeners today. Let's start with you, first of all, Tom uh, Godwin uh, from the Citizen Advice in Exeter. What, have you, uh, what would
4: your, your your top tips, Tom? I mean, it would be to say that whatever situation you're in, however many pieces of a post you've not opened yet, how much you've buried your head in the sand... There's Nothing our advisors haven't seen that they can't help you with and they're going to judge you on. Now is the best time to start talking to somebody. Don't delay on it, don't feel ashamed about it, don't feel you're going to be judged about it. The quicker you get that help to understanding your options, the better you'll feel your mental health, but actually the more you can take control. And you know, we've seen it all, we're here to help. Um but put away forward and actually it's a liberating process when you start doing it, it's time to take back some of that control of your options. And it really, really is the right time today. That's some good
1: advice. Uh thanks for that Tom. Uh, Julianne and Vonda.
2: Uh, my, my advice for people is those that, that have the internet is you could go onto to our advice guide. If you just Google citizens advice, advice guide will come up. And on the right hand side, one of the top areas that's currently um currently tracking on our system is help with living costs. And there's a fantastic guide on there that will go through looking at maximizing your income. Are there any benefits out there in work and out of work benefits where you can get some help? Council tax, are there any grant giving organizations? Are there any schemes? For example, in Wales, we have the Welsh Water Help You scheme that can help people reduce their water costs. On a monthly basis, help with debt. It's an excellent uh, guide. And I would really uh, say if you can go onto that guide and go through the checklist and echo what Tom has said. There's nothing that we haven't heard before. We're here to support you. And that's what we can do for you
1: um and actually it's worth pointing out that what what's good because obviously different things apply in different parts of the country what we, today we've got um England and, and Wales we've tried to get rural and city and uh coastal as well uh but the great thing about the website which I was just looking on is you can you can say exactly where you are so all the all of the information then is is local to you you haven't got to try and pick your way through uh things which apply in different parts of uh, of the UK um uh Tracy in Blackpool your 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 top tip
6: yeah, I think probably first and foremost would be seek advice. You know, you're not on your own in this, that you you shouldn't have to face problems with your finances alone. And actually, they can be all-consuming. You know, debt does have such a detrimental effect on so many other areas of people's lives, from relationships to, you know, work to all, all aspects of life really can, can really be affected and healthy as well, as I've mentioned before. So I would say first and foremost, you know, you can be quite brave because it's quite difficult sometimes to admit that you're in a difficult financial position. Seek help, and then the message you'll get from us is, every debt problem has a solution, and we're here to help. And in the way that Thomas said and Juliana said, we, you know, we're completely non-judgmental. We're a confidential service. We're impartial. Um, we've seen it all, and actually, that's what we want to do. We want to help you. There are a lot of things that we can do practically, whether it's sitting down and just looking at your budget. And, you know, a fresh pair of eyes, a debt advisor who's very skilled in this area can really help you look at your income and expenditure. can also help you access things that you probably don't already know about, um, you know, like the grants that are available for various different um, debts. We can also do very practical things like put a stop on creditors. We can provide you with a bit of breathing space so that you don't feel hounded if you've got people ringing you up about your debts, which I think, again, is just so important but, yeah, my overriding message would be don't try and do this on your own. Um, you know, yeah. we're here to help and that, that's what we're, we're all about as a service. And we really want to help people through this crisis because we recognise that this has an impact not just on that individual, but on, on kind of their wider community and all of us, really, in terms of, um, you know, everybody's health and well-being.
1: And I suppose as well, socially, we have such a hang up of talking about money not talking about how much you earn, how much you've spent. You know, it's a, it's, a, it's such a sort of weird taboo, but I suppose be, sometimes it can be difficult to discuss it with friends and family. But if you go and see someone you don't know uh, and just work through the numbers and there's not all that sort of, oh, has got more money than me, less money than me, can't afford to do that, you know, which socially that's such an such a awkward thing sometimes that actually going and seeing someone you just don't know who can just work through it uh, is... Uh, it's a really, you know, that, that's part of the value of it. Uh, just finally, uh, Kaylee, in terms of the sort of national policy, is mm. there something that Citizens Advice would like to see national governments doing, whether that's, you know, Westminster or Cardiff or Edinburgh or, or Belfast, that would, that would alleviate, you know, the, 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 where you're seeing the same thing again and again and again and again, and again uh, which actually could be addressed at a national level?
5: Yeah, so the, the support that we've seen for cost of living over the last couple of weeks has been incredibly welcome. It ne- needed to happen now, not in the winter. It needed to be through the benefit system and, and it, it is coming. And we're keeping such a close eye on that at the moment to make it's getting make sure it's getting to the right people uh, and make sure it's sufficient. Um, I think one of the challenges we're going to have is that is one off in its very nature. It's a lump sum of, uh, of support that people are going to get. Um, and actually, the challenges that we've talked through today aren't just one off um and they're not even short term we're looking at challenges like this existing through to next year particularly bad in the winter uh, so we we're asking government to stand ready to intervene again um if necessary uh, come the winter for, for people to to make sure that we can you know as we said keep the lights on get food on the table not leaving people in those horrible horrible situations that we've heard about having to you know vote on food food or bath yeah. or uh, you know, we see people day in, day out as well who can't um, afford to top up their prepayment meters. So they are just effectively disconnected people who have disabilities in particular where they face additional costs, where we would like to focus time and attention, particularly when we're seeing quite a lot of delays in payments there as well.
1: Oh, look, let me just finish off uh, with a message we've just had in from a listener. Listen to the lovely citizens advice people gives you faith in human nature. What wonderful, kind and caring people they are. So there we are. Um, uh, yeah, thanks. Thank you for joining us and taking us through all that, and sharing your advice. and And I think the key message is, uh, don't don't put it off. Uh, just seek advice because whatever you think, there there will be some help there somewhere. Uh, it's really good to speak all well, that. Was uh, Kelly Hignell, uh, head of policy at the National Citizens Advice. Uh, we also heard from Tracy Hopkins from Citizens Advice in Blackpool, Julianne Risborough from Citizens Advice in Rhonda, and Tom Goldwin from Citizens Advice in. Exeter. That's all we've got time for on this episode of the Red Box Podcast. Don't forget you can listen to me live Monday to Friday 10 till 1 on Times Radio. We bring you the best bits here on the podcast. And if you're feeling particularly nice, why not wait and review us wherever you get your podcast from?
5: Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince.